This is the EWN Podcast Network. Are you ready to live your life by your rules? Need some inspiration? Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success, the podcast that brings you interviews with people who have had their life path challenged and have redefined what success in a first-class life really means to them with tales of roads taken, detours explored, turning points, and transformation. Here is your host, First Class Life mentor, Kate Fessler. Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and my guest today is keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, and executive leadership coach, Teresa Callahan. Teresa is an expert at helping great leaders build high-performing teams. She is a featured speaker at events throughout the country and inspires her audience to break through barriers and leverage their talent by assessing their needs and turning action items into results. Her focus is on the people stuff and helping her clients align their talents, skills, and gifts with their personal and professional work. Teresa made her most popular leadership coaching program available in a book. Managing for Performance is a leadership blueprint for high achievement, providing an insightful exploration of what makes a successful workplace and providing tools and resources to transform and lead high-performing teams. She's a Colbay certified consultant and a certified rowers code facilitator. Over 20 years of striving to develop her own businesses and coaching high performance leaders, Teresa became increasingly fascinated by the female leaders she worked with who struggled with one common element that they universally shared, finding balance and fulfillment in their lives, regardless of their successes and relationships. Looking deeper, she has discovered that the more masterful one is at caring for others in their life, at work, and at home, the more they neglect their own self-care. This powerful work and some personal breakthroughs of her own inspired her to develop a dynamic new coaching program, Retreat to Tuscany, a full immersion coaching experience for women based in a little village called Montesi in the southern hills of Tuscany. Welcome, Teresa. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for that introduction. We'll get to that juicy retreat in Tuscany in a bit, but first, let's travel back in time. What did you want to be when you grew up? I had a fascination with Barbara Walters. I remember spending, there was something about having a microphone and commanding a group of people and being able to have these incredible conversations with really interesting people. Um, And that was my goal, to be a Barbara Walters and be on TV and interview people and... um, you know, have smart conversations Ah. (laughs) with others. (laughs) And did you do that? Well, you know, I studied journalism when I went off to college. Um, I was at Gonzaga University for a while at my beginning of my college career, and I studied journalism. I got to work in this on the school newspaper. I'd been in journalism and uh, worked on the school newspaper all through high school as well. But I did believe it was going to, uh, you know, being on TV and being in front of people and, um, always strive to do that. And it's interesting because to this day, I love being in front of the video camera. (laughs) I guess I just created my own version of it, right? Not on TV per se, but you know, I still have videos and I like that. Excellent. Well, what was your first job? Oh my gosh. My first job was in high school. I worked for Baskin Robbins. Uh, Baskin Robbins came to town and they were the first in our town, Missoula, Montana, to open. And my best friend Carrie and I went down to interview and there was dozens of kids lying down the street. And I remember how thrilled I was 
to uh, get that first job and we get two free scoops of ice cream every shift. And so mm. <laughs> it, was, it was a really fun job in high school to have very social and um, very yummy. Mm. And how about <laughs> after college? What did you uh, work in journalism? Well, I, I stayed in college. I was, went back to University of Montana and finished, launched the first Greek newspaper. I was in the Greek system. I was a theta. And so I got to be involved with the journalism side there as well. Studied public speaking, communications and marketing. So I think I naturally just bent that was bent that way. Uh, but right out of college, my first job was with State Farm Insurance. Um, I graduated from college in the spring. I got married in the fall, backpacked through Europe for 10 weeks, and then my new husband and I loaded up a U-Haul with all of our wedding gifts and drove to Austin, Texas to start our new life together. <laughs> my very first job was working for State Farm, and, uh, and I still st serve State Farm to this day. I'm a consultant, not an employee of the company anymore, but it's been an incredible journey, and um, was an opportunity to enhance my communication skills, work with people, uh, talk about complex things that people aren't very interested in. If you can make insurance sexy and fun for someone, then, <laughs> then you've done a good job that day, right? But that was my first career right out of college. And I did love it. Hmm, interesting. That's an interesting choice. So not yeah. just um, state farm insurance, but moving to Austin, Texas. Yes. So what, what drew you there? Well, my husband's family lived there, and they were lobbying for us to come down to Austin. I grew up in Missoula, Montana, had barely left my region, you know, of the country. And, and it was a kind of a fun adventure, starting something new. So we, we had a little bit of family there, uh, made friends wonderfully. I loved the state of Texas. I had big hair and a big attitude, and I fit right in. <laughs> loved being in Austin. And, you know, to be in Texas, I think Austin's kind of a hippie, liberal kind of community. And um, it reminded kind of crunchy, a big university town. It's a capital. And uh, we really loved being there. We were there for four years before we moved back to my hometown in Missoula, Montana which is when I launched my State Farm Agency. Okay. So how long did you, were you uh, with State Farm as an agent? Well, I was an agent. I was a team member for almost five years, and then I transitioned into becoming a State Farm agent. I was assigned a book of business, brought back up to Western Montana. I was the first female State Farm agent in all of Western Montana. And so I remember coming in as this young, perky, energetic 20-something girl uh, into this town with a bunch of good old boys. And um, my first district meeting, uh, I remember one of the agents walking up to me and kind of patting me on the back, and he called me Missy. Hi, Missy. You know, welcome to town. You know, you let me know if I can do anything to help you. And I remember something kind of triggering off and I, I'm like, I'll be damned. I'm going to show these guys. <laughs> and I did. I took over the town and it took me about five years. I almost tripled the book business, had a blast with my agency. And pretty soon the company recognized that I was really enjoying coaching other agents and speaking in front of groups, probably more than writing my own insurance policies. So um, they finally convinced me to go into to leadership and relocated me and my family out to Seattle. And that was in 1998. So um, I got to work then as a consultant for the company as part of a field executive team, consulting and coaching and helping other agents develop their agencies. And it was a blast. So that's how you got into coaching high performance leaders. Yeah, you know, I think I've done it all my life. I think back to kindergarten. <laughs> I think back to being the bossy girl on the playground. You know, I believe that 
it was something that I was work I was called to do, um, helping others see the greatness in them, maybe shifting their behaviors and their attitudes a little bit to appreciate, you know, what was right in front of them. Um, I, I had a lot of tough things happen to me in my childhood growing up, you know, it wasn't always easy. And yet somehow I just dug deep for this finding joy and, uh, it was natural and instinctive for me, I believe, to coach others and kind of being the mediator between other people. And I didn't realize I, I was in the fifth year of my um, role as a consultant for State Farm. And I had asked to take sabbatical. I had stuff going on at home I needed to take care of. I had stuff happening professionally. Um, I, I was in a tough place personally and needed to kind of pause my career for a bit. And while I was on sabbatical, I discovered professional coaching. I had no idea that something like that even existed. And I was on, I think I'm on the internet one night and reading about the International Coach Federation. And there's actually certifications and training to become a professional coach. And um, I, I can recall the, like the tears sort of welling up in my eyes, like, oh my God, maybe I found my people. <laughs> you know I mean? could really make money and do this, you know? And so State Farm was wonderful. They kept bringing me in on a contract basis. They just thought I was going through something, you know, and I'd come back to my company car and my big job and my big paycheck and all my benefits. And in that process, they kept giving me contract work and I discovered professional coaching. Um, I enrolled in the coaches. um, uh, training Institute and was going back and forth to Vancouver, BC, taking coursework and uh, just absolutely fell in love, scared to death, you know, how, how this was all going to play itself out, but that, that I could create work out of it was, um, you know, just so exciting. Uh, the first thing I did was hire a coach. I hired an executive coach and she was kind of the one who pointed me in that direction. And to this day is still in my life and someone I admire incredibly, but she helped me leave my corporate job and find the courage really to launch a new career. And um, I have had many coaches in my life since that point, but yeah, I think it's something innately some of us are, are kind of born to do and find that work quite natural. And um, I've been doing it ever since. I've been an independent consultant now for over 16 years. Yeah, so coaching, especially leadership coaching as sort of a career is relatively new. Um, how have you seen the concept of leadership change over the time that you've been working with high-performance leaders? Mm. Well, what I learned really early on is I started to witness this, and I don't think I ever put the two points together, but there are a lot of people that I have met, seen, witnessed, read about over the years who have been promoted into these management slash leadership roles. Uh, You know, there's a fine line that crosses over between the definition of those two. Lots of people, because they're so good at the work, get promoted into these leadership roles, right? And suddenly they wake up one day and realize their most important responsibility is the development of people. And nobody ever taught them that stuff, you know, and just because you're really smart or you're very accomplished with the work does not mean you're good at the people stuff. And I discovered really early on in my own practice that that was an area that 
uh, there was a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of dysfunction out there <laughs> in all relationships, including in the workplace, right? And it, it broke my heart to meet these business owners, especially small business owners. It's where I came from. I think I've always been drawn to entrepreneurs because that's who I am. I've worked in corporate you know, settings plenty of times, but I'm very drawn to people who find themselves in these leadership roles and find the courage to say, you know what? I'm not really good at the people stuff. I, I had a client last year reach out to me and I fell in love with him in the first conversation because he was able to say to me, Teresa, I believe I'm the weakest link on my team. Mm. And you said something at a workshop. Like often when I'm speaking is when people meet me and connect with me for the first time. And he said, you know, I think I'm the weakest link. And if I want my people to be better, I need to be better. And it takes a lot of courage, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, usually a lot of revolving doors of talent um, before someone can even find the words to articulate that truth about themselves. And so my heart has been in a place for so many years of helping those people, understanding that, you know, if I want to have a better team, I better be a better boss. If I want to have more results, I better be more results driven myself. I got to walk the walk. And I tell my clients all the time, I keep looking for shortcuts. <laughs> I keep looking for an easier way to inspire and lead a team than you showing up and doing the work yourself, right? It's the heavy lifting that I refer to, but there are no shortcuts. You know, if you want to be a great leader, uh, you have to learn how to inspire people. And it's that human connection. Um, and, and it just doesn't come easy for a lot of us. Yeah. And that is a great point that you have to sort of admit that you need help because I think historically, um, at least you said your client was a he, historically the, the male uh, bosses have not been able to be that vulnerable to say, maybe I need some help. Maybe it's not them. Maybe it is me. So it's nice to hear that there is a, some movement on that front. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't tell you, Kate. I've probably got more men that are able to say that to me than women. Really? Maybe, maybe it is that, you know, I've had to tap into my feminine energy and try not to be so, you know, I'm large and in charge, kind of, you know, bigger than myself. And I have had to learn that the more vulnerable and open I can be with my client, share the messy stuff as much as the pretty perfect stuff, you know, that um, we're all in this together. You know, as human beings, we are all in this together to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And it's incredibly vulnerable to be a boss. Uh, it's incredibly vulnerable to put yourself out there in such a way that you let your people see you in all transparency. And it's interesting because over the years, I would say there is as many or more men that I work with who uh, are able to see that they are the biggest barrier, you know, to their success. And if we can't, if, if someone's not able to, you know, I'll have, I had a client one time, for instance, who called me up and he said, Teresa, you referred to me by someone in my industry. Um, I've got a, I've got a problem with my team. You know, I've got, I've had a lot of turnover and it's just a big mess. I'm ready to clean house. I'm ready to fire everybody and start all over. And could you come in here and help me fix my team? And I just got, I could, you know, feel the smile kind of coming up inside of me. And I sat back on my chair and I said, you know, possibly, but can I have a conversation with you first? 
Mm. I want to talk to you. Like, what's the common denominator among all these things you just described and all this, you know, change, dysfunction, people coming and going? And so if you can't find the courage to look in the mirror, you know, hold that gaze in the mirror first and ask yourself, you know, do I like what I see? Am I being the best that I can be for these people? If you can't do that, we're probably not going to be a good fit to work together. Mm -hmm. And I've had to realize I can't save the world. It's not my job. I probably scare away a lot of people. I have these discovery conversations where we're meeting for the first time and we're getting to know each other. And um, I, I probably scare the heck out of some people because they realize that this is their work to do. Mm. I will love them and coach them and hold them and be their accountability partners and walk them through the process and share with them everything that I've learned working with high-performing leaders but it's up to you to do the work. And that's some people just aren't ready to do it. You know, they just don't want to do it. And that's why I say, I keep looking for shortcuts, but I haven't found one. <laughs> no, if parenting. you do, I'm sure we all want to oh know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you know, I have raised two boys and I have said this to many groups over and over, over the years that I believe everything I've learned about leadership and being a role model and being held accountable, I learned from home, in at home for my boys. I mean, they're watching everything I do. And they have held me more accountable than anyone in my life. Uh, anyone in my life. And so I, I feel like it all starts at home. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have lots of opportunity to strengthen that muscle before we even step out into the street. And you can't fire your kids, so you got to learn how to work with them. No, nope. <laughs> they remember everything you promised, right? And I remember one of my sons learning how to drive for the first time. And um, we were in the car. He was in driver's ed training. And I was driving, and my phone went off. And I just kind of glanced over there, and I must have leaned my hand or something toward it. Uh -oh. And he said, Mom. You, what are you doing? You can't use your phone while you're driving. And I'm like, oh, shit, he's watching. <laughs> yeah, well, like, and I'm sure it's like, thank you right. for knowing that, right? And Talk for being diligent right. about Talk it. about accountability. And so it's those kinds of things that have stopped me in my tracks and reminded me that, you know, you can say a lot of things. You, they hear this noise in the background, the wah, 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 you know, kind of sound. But they're watching what I'm doing and mm -hmm. they're noticing. And um, that's probably been the, be the best lesson in accountability I've ever had, raising boys. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do doesn't yeah. fly anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if it ever has, but we sure tried it, didn't we? <laughs> uh -huh. My parents did, that's for sure. <laughs> we try it, yes. So you have two certifications that I've never heard of. Oh. Colby Certified Consultant and Certified Rower's Code Facilitator. Yeah. Explain those methods, please. Yeah, cool. yeah. So the Colby concepts have been around for years. Um, Kathy Colby is the innovator of the Colby concepts, and it's a tool that's all about our innate pattern, our mode of operation. When you're striving to be productive and get something done, we all have a certain pattern that we will always follow, uh, our MO, our modus operandi. And research has shown we're born with this instinct, right? The way we approach problem solving and getting things done. The way we organized our toys as a kid in the toy room is likely the same methodology that we use when studying for a test in school. And I have learned with my clients, it's the exact same mode of operation that they use when they're striving to be productive in the workplace. And so when I learned about the Colby concepts initially, uh, what resonated so much in it for me was that it shined a light on what's right about you. And rather trying to fix your weaknesses or overcome something that you're not, it's about shining the light on what's right about you and giving you tools and strategies for 
leveraging that and being the best that you can be at work and at home. In a prescriptive way over the years, I used the Colby concepts to help make sure we have the right people in the right jobs and that we're leveraging the talent uh, on the team so work becomes a little more effortless and fun. Um, and I do have come to believe that, you know, if we're all committed, we can all get from point A to point B, but the path that we take to get there is often very different. And so with teams, when I do the group interpretations and team interpretations, they find out, oh, no wonder you do it that way. You're not trying to drive me crazy. You're just trying to honor yourself. And so uh, used the tools for years and workshops and, uh, and I've done some family relationship coaching using the Colby concepts and found out why someone feels like they're the black sheep in the family. Well, the way they approach things is very different from everyone else innately. And it can make someone feel like an outcast and like they don't fit in. And um, so rather than trying to fix people, uh, I've totally bought into this, you know, belief system long ago that I'd rather find out what's right about you and help you put that energy and talent into areas of your life where you can have natural success and joy. And it's just so much better when that work is effortless. So that's the Colby. Uh, you asked about the Rower's Code. So my colleague and friend, Marilyn Critchko, developed a program called the Rower's Code. And it's these seven principles of rowing. Uh, you know, carry your load. Always do what's best for the team. Give every seat equal value. You know, these different principles really also apply in the business setting, you know, when you're building a high-performing team. It also applies in leadership. So I became certified to partner with Marilyn. I have done Rower's Code workshops with her uh, throughout the country. We also take the groups then out onto the water and give them a chance to see what it's like to pull together as a team to win. Oh, wow. Talk about team building, you know, yeah. and it's phenomenal. It's a blast to do that work. And it's kind of edge work, I call it. It's a little bit out there. Some people get a little bit nervous, especially if you've never rowed in an eight-person boat before like that. Um, but it's phenomenal work. And um, Marilyn is uber talented and we're getting ready to launch some new work together around some of these same concepts in the next year. So you've learned something from the female leaders that you've worked with over the years. Hmm. What do they struggle with the most? Oh my gosh. So I think this kind of hit me over the head like a two by four, <laughs> really, really hard. Myself as a female leader you know, striving, trying to be everything to everyone, wearing lots of hats, juggling lots of balls, trying to fulfill everyone else's needs, but neglecting my own self-care in the process. And I, I feel like the introspect came after recognizing this with high-achieving women. Um, not that I don't believe men struggle with, you know, creating balance in their lives as well, but Women in particular who have a striving instinct about them, especially moms who are raising kids, running families, running teams, managing teams, maybe running a business, trying to maintain relationships and be a good sister, mom, daughter, you know, you fill in the blank. Um, guilt was this big word that I kept hearing from my female business owners and female executive clients because they were spread so thin trying to be so, you know, everything for everyone else, masterful at caring for everyone else but themselves. And over the past year, I have had three women in particular who are cancer survivors, who have said to me, if they were sitting with us right now, that they made themselves sick. One mm -hmm. of them believes she gave herself cancer because of her neglect of her own self-care. And I started noticing a pattern and I'm, I'm discovering that um, the more successful a, 
especially a woman driving woman leader is um, in other aspects of their life, they are the most neglectful at caring for themselves, putting themselves first. And I equate that to balance. I have a presentation I'm giving later this month. It's called, you know, creating balance in an imbalanced life. <laughs> How do we do this? Right. All comes down to balance. And, and I've learned that it's not about being a perfect 10 in all these different areas of our life. It's about creating balance, balance. And, in wellness and to create joy in your life you have to find some element of balance there and I've been fascinated by this work I'm working on my next book project and it's really these stories of these women that I'm learning from and witnessing the challenges that they have and I believe it's why a lot of my work has shifted into serving these women because it's really important um, how can we be great leaders to our families? How can we be great leaders in our jobs and in the world and our community services if we're not caring for ourselves first? Um, it's that old adage, you know, putting the oxygen mask on yourself first before you take care of the person next to you. It's yeah. so simple. You know, it's nothing new. It's nothing we haven't heard before. But women are incredibly um, uh, masterful at neglecting themselves when they get so busy taking care of everyone else in their lives. So have you found that theme? Uh -huh. <laughs> I've seen it uh, pretty much everywhere. Um, and especially, you know, one of the things that women need to remember is like we said before, they are role models. Your kids are watching. Absolutely. And so especially for the daughters uh, and even for the sons who are watching you, sort of, you know, sacrifice your own self for everyone else, that's an expectation that you're instilling in them and yeah. for themselves or for the uh, women in their lives. And so we don't want to do that anymore. No, we can't. And, and I don't know where we learned this. I, w I was leading a women's conversation, group conversation recently, and, and I asked the question, you know, how, where did we learn this? Do we learn this at home? Do we learn this from our own mothers? Did we learn this from, you know, probably. Um, but where does this guilt come from? You know, it's kind of crazy, right? And, and that we would put off the care of ourselves before the care of everyone else because when the tank is empty you know you got to fill the tank if you want to get there right and you think about putting the gas in a car what mm -hmm. happens if you don't refill and I've done this before I'm guilty where I've run, literally run out of gas because I'm late for an appointment mm -hmm. I mean what happens when the car breaks down right the meeting's not going to happen. People aren't going to get what they want or need. And it's taking those few minutes to stop at the freaking gas station and put some gas in the car to get to your destination. And that sounds like a silly analogy saying it out loud, but it's just the truth. I mean, if we don't keep ourselves fueled and inspired, if we aren't getting really clear about fulfillment of ourselves and having joyous lives and living that and demonstrating that to our to the people in our lives, what are we teaching our children? What are we teaching our team members and, and the people who look up to us, you know, in, in the workplace and our relationships and man, I, you know, it's taken me, you know, I'm 51 years old. It's taken me a long time to figure this out, but now to, to me, when I have some of the breakthroughs I've had, um, that was the biggest reason I left my corporate job. Uh, just kind of a, a putting those two together recently. I was having severe panic attacks, mm. getting lost on my way to appointments, getting disoriented. And I remember finding myself late for an appointment, going across town. 
um, there was a detour because some, there was construction or something going on. And I panicked because I thought the detour is going to take me on a different route. I'm going to be even later. And I found myself in this church parking lot, completely disoriented. I thought I was losing my marbles, tears streaming down my face. I didn't know what to do. Like I was completely out of it. And I think about the stress in my life at the time. Um, I had a new baby at home, a nanny trying to raise my child, a marriage that was falling apart, a career where I was being told to be in this location on Wednesday for a meeting, and I didn't feel like I was in control of any, in anything. Mm. I felt like everything was slipping through the cracks. And when I look back now, I didn't have the wisdom at the time. I, I carried all the burden. It was all my fault. I was failing at everything. I was letting everyone down. And it's heartbreaking that I let myself go through that. And it's taken me all these years. And so I guess the coach in me and the women I work with now, I see it. Often I can see it so much more clearly than they can. And I feel pretty privileged and feel like it's important for me to call it out when I see it because the glaring lights are there sometimes, you know, the physical attributes and the, and the, the challenges that we know we're up against. Um, we have to do something about it if we, want to serve others. Absolutely. So you mentioned a few minutes ago that you were working on another book, but you have a book already. Tell me about Managing for Performance. Yes, Managing for Performance is my baby. This is my first book. And um, the book itself, uh, Managing for Performance, Building Accountability for Team Success, it was never on my agenda to write a book. And I remember um, when I left my corporate job, launched my private consulting business, um, I had built a leadership program, six-month leadership program. And it was all the things that I had learned working with high-performing leaders, working with challenged leaders, right? Things that I'd learned, structures and processes to help people break through barriers to get themselves and their teams to that next level. And I was having coffee one day with a gentleman I had met through a coaching network. And he said, Teresa, you need to publish a book. You like speaking. You've already got a workshop, you know, format. And he said, you need a book for, you know, platform for speaking. And I said, oh, that's so silly. Who would want to read my book? Why would I ever write a book? That's the silliest thing I ever heard. Truly felt that way. And he said, but you know, you're, you're a storyteller and you have all these incredible stories. And what if you could take all the tools and materials and resources that you've discovered and put them into a book? to help you with your workshops and to help you with your coaching clients. And he said, if I could take your hand and show you how to do this, would you be willing to listen to me and do this project? And I said, sure. So he took me down this process. He was remarkable. Patrick Snow is his name. I have referred so many of my clients and friends to him as well because he's got a very turnkey process. He's got his publisher in New York. He's got all the contacts, right? And I produced this beautiful amazing, fun project book that was all stories and things that I'd learned working with great leaders. And, um, and it really has been a platform for me. I think if you want to speak to groups or you want to be called in as a keynote or as someone who's credible, um, to have this became my new business card. Right. And, um, and, and it was really an accomplishment, uh, for me. And, um, So yeah, that's the book. And it's still, I still, I keep saying, I'm going to get an updated version of this. Some things in it have changed. My mindset about a couple things have changed. I would have to admit that. Um, But fundamentally, it's, there's still some great stories in it. And a lot of the tools and resources that I use in my coaching as well. 
And this is available at Amazon, presumably other yeah, you can get it on Amazon. You can also get it through my website. When you order it through my website, I will sign it for you and send it to you personally. I always have a little stash and supply right here. Otherwise you can get it online. And you mentioned that you were also a speaker. Yes. Who is your ideal audience and what are some of the topics that you share with them? Oh gosh. Uh, you know, all the things we've been talking about, my ideal audience uh, has always been, um, people who are in leadership roles in the workplace or small business owners. Again, that's where I come from. But if you have a business and you manage a team, um, I really talk openly and candidly about this, you know, thing we talked about earlier. If you want a better team, then be a better boss. You want to be a better, you know, business owner, then, you know, be a better leader. And there are no shortcuts. And so I take my clients through a uh, process of discovery. I have, I do live coaching when I'm speaking, I'll bring in a wheel, a leadership wheel and have you assess your level of satisfaction in these eight key areas in your role as a business owner or as a manager of your team. And then I have the group share. You know, how'd you rank yourself on a scale of zero to 10 in this category? You know, why'd you give yourself a four? And they'll share with the whole group, you know, why they rank themselves that way. And then I'll step back and say, you know, what would it look like if it was a 10? And it's so beautiful to watch someone get into a bit of a dreamlike state and go, gosh, if it was a 10, this would be happening and that would be going on and things would be easy. And, and that's to me is where you go. Like there's accountability right there. What could you do today that would help you get there? And how would that impact other areas of your business if in fact you could move the mark in that one area uh, in your role as a leader? And so um, being able to interact with my audiences, whether it's several hundred people or a room of 12, you know, sitting around a U-shaped table, I'm a very conversational speaker. I like to engage my, the, you know, the audience. Um, I like to share stories. And uh, so any kind of group like that that's looking to be inspired and maybe learn some new things about what it takes to build a high-performing team, those are the topics and the things that I love to talk about. So speaking of groups, which I don't know if you're going to be talking about high-performance or just self-care, but you have a coaching retreat in Tuscany. I do. This is what my inspired you to create that and why Tuscany? Oh, gosh. Uh, really good questions. Um, so Tuscany has been a place that has set an imprint in my heart. The first time I was there, I was, um, it was about 12 years ago. I was with my husband at the time and his family. Um, and I remember feeling uh, heavy, the heaviness of the point in my life where here I am, surrounded by this beauty and this incredible, the colors and the sights and the sounds and the food and the landscape. And it was this most romantic, beautiful, wonderful place I had ever been. To me, Tuscany was magical. And I remember feeling so guilty because I was really sad. I was at the end of my marriage. I knew my marriage was not working and I knew I saw the end of it. I don't even think I realized at the time that I was already mourning the loss of my marriage at that time. Mm. I felt so guilty because I couldn't enjoy all this beauty that was around me. It was so in my head and the trip was wonderful. We, we had some great experiences, but I, it's like I had left these breadcrumbs there, you know, because when I came back you know, fast forward 10 years, I had gone through a divorce. I had to rebuild my life. I was a single mom raising these two boys. 
And I kept hearing myself say over and over and over again to everyone in my life, personally and professionally, someday I'm going to go back to Tuscany. Someday I'm going to go back there and find that joy that I so want to find being in this incredible place. And it took me, you know, getting tired of hearing it, you know, over and over. And I had all these little in my in, you know, my Outlook calendar. I would go on the internet in my spare time and research things to do in Tuscany. And I had this folder filled with all these things I was going to do. And I was at a workshop one weekend and the facilitator called us out and said, you know, what's that one thing you keep hearing yourself someday I'm going to do this. And the tears stung my eyes because I just felt like I was being called out on my stuff. Like, no, I was in the back of the room and here I was like, Oh no, I just busted. Right. And I could hear myself saying, someday I'm going to go back to Tuscany. But because I'm a single mom and I'm a business owner and I shouldn't spend the money and I shouldn't leave my children and I shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't. I fill in the blanks, right? The gremlins were really loud, all the chatter. I didn't do it. And, and something hit me that weekend that if I don't do this now, will I ever find the courage to do it? I never traveled to Europe alone. Uh, that was something that was completely out of my wheelhouse. I traveled a lot for business, but it was always purposeful for work or with people. But I went home that night and I bought a one-way ticket to Tuscany. And mm -hmm. I thought, I'll be damned. I am not going to hear myself say this one more time. And what's so crazy about it, Kate, is I didn't tell anyone I was afraid, I felt so guilty for taking the time and spending the money and would my boys be okay without me for a couple of weeks? Would my clients be okay? And what am I thinking? Where am I gonna stay? Like all these things went through my head. Like what a crazy idea to take yourself alone to Tuscany. But I eventually told people and was surprised that they not only were thrilled for me, but they were complete champions for me doing this. Um, and ended up spending 15 days there by myself. Um, I sat for days at a time on the top of this rooftop uh, terrace at this apartment I stayed at in a little village called Sinalunga, and I journaled, and I wrote, and when I started to feel the courage, I started to post things publicly on my Facebook page, and I posted a blog about some of the breakthroughs I was having, and I couldn't believe that my email inbox was blowing up. All these women were reaching out to me saying, Teresa, I've always wanted to take a trip like that. I've always wanted to go to Tuscany. And um, I found forgiveness for myself, forgiveness for, you know, my husband, all the things. I don't, I don't, I don't think I knew how much healing I still had to do 10 years post-divorce. And it was like these big breakthroughs all happened for me. And the forgiveness for myself, I think I was really good at beating myself up for doing the things I had done or making the choices that I had made and uh, carried that with me. And it was such a heavy burden. And so going through the process and publicly posting these things was probably the most vulnerable thing I have ever done. And it's kind of like, well, who gives it? You know, if, I, what a, if they judge me, who cares, you know, but instead I got a lot of love and I had a couple of women privately reach out to me and, and ask, would I take them to Tuscany? Would I, would I would like to go back and do something like that? And on that rooftop terrace, the idea of retreat to Tuscany was birthed. And I sat there with myself thinking, you know, I facilitate, I design and facilitate workshops and retreats all over the country all the time why not Tuscany what's so crazy about that if these women say they want to go let's go see if I can actually get them to do it so 
I came back and I started asking around some of these women who reached out and I said, if I design a retreat, if I put together an incredible week of these yummy things that I've been doing and we do some coaching work to kind of set intentions and make this an incredible experience, would you say yes? Will you say yes? And believe it or not, all these women started saying yes and throwing money at me and giving me, me their deposits. And I was like, oh, damn, this is happening, right? So that was May when I had this breakthrough experience two years ago. And so I booked another ticket back to Italy, went to Tuscany in the fall of that year for the second time by myself to meet with the driving service, talk to my tour guide, meet with the chef, get the villa book, like set out this whole week. So I could have this remarkable experience for these 12 women. And in the May of 2018, we launched and I got to take my first group. Uh, we hit it out of the park. Uh, so much, so many breakthroughs, so many stories shared, the things unspoken sitting at the table night after night with this group of women and the breakthroughs. There's something that happens in Tuscany that I believe everything slows down. And I can access a part of myself that I can't seem to access anywhere else that I've ever been in the world. And, you know, it's, it's scary as heck to be alone with your own thoughts sometimes. But when that chatter quiets and you get to that place of knowing and your truth, it's like your heart, my heart cracked wide open. And I saw this happen for every one of the women that, you know, that were with me on this retreat. And uh, lives are being transformed. Some of these women are launching businesses. They're having breakthroughs in their relationships. They're dealing with health issues that they've never dealt with before. Um, one of them found the courage to leave her corporate job and launch her own private business. And we're in the process of doing some work around that right now. So more than anything, it feels like an honor. I, I just like, I pinch, I wait, I go to sleep at this big, cause I'm just getting ready to take my next group of 10. There'll be 10 of us in May. And I have two retreats. My fall retreat has filled up almost. So we just launched a second week. I got the villa booked for a second week this fall. So I'll probably have 28 women. I had 18 women last year that traveled with me. And over the course of three retreats, I think I'll have 28 women this year. And so their stories and the inspiration, and this is what keeps me inspired. It's, it's really watching these breakthroughs um, and, and seeing the transformation that, that they're making. That sounds wonderful. I'm sure that it's going to be a fantastic opportunity uh, with great wine and food too, right? Oh my gosh. Well, we have, in <laughs> fact, just this morning, I was on the phone with Eleonora, who's our in-house chef, and she will design the menu for us. It's really lovely because I get to send the menus, you know, the food choices out to the group and we co-create the menu and everything about it is so special. I, I feel like what makes it so unique is the relationships that we've been able to establish there. I have relationships over there with people who now feel like family to me. They take such good care of me. They love me so much and they open their arms up to everyone that I've brought over. So these women go home feeling like they now have been immersed in this tiny little medieval village and they have all of these relationships and they're communicating with them online, on Facebook, they're sharing pictures and stories and it's such a unique opportunity uh, for all of us. Well, we're at that point in the program where I have to ask you, what is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Oh, gosh, I have so many. That's a very hard question for me. Um, but one of them that I can, you can't see this right here, but you can see all the little flippy notes, <laughs> the little dog tags throughout it. There's a book called The Firestarter Sessions. 
a soulful and practical guide to creating success on your own terms. And the author's Danielle Laporte. I don't know how I ever got onto her work. I've been following her for years and listening to her, but it really is all about creating the life that you yearn for with great authenticity, finding the courage to create your own path instead of following others. I look back at my life as a child and all the way through school and as a crazy entrepreneur, you know, who thinks up this stuff, right? I've always been innovative. I've always loved finding that trail that no one else has blazed so I can, you know, create it and have other people go with me. And she was probably one of the first, you know, crazy women that I ever came across who believed the same things I, <laughs> I believed. And if you're, if you're someone who wants to some call to action. She's no nonsense. You know, sometimes I swear. I try not to. My mother hates it when I swear, especially when I'm talking in front of groups, but I get fired up and she gets really fired up in her writing. And someday I just want to take that girl out for a martini. <laughs> I'm going to find her because, you know, when you find an author like that, where it resonates so deeply and you're brought to tears, like, like, have you been talking to somebody? I know, you know, you've been called to action. Mm -hmm. To me, those are the kinds of books that, you know, they, they change your life. And it's really important, uh, you know, to listen when you read things like that. So I'd say that's the one. I'm stranded on a deserted island. I could read this over and over and over again and be reminded again and again of what I need to do to create a purposeful life. Excellent. That's a good one. Teresa, how do you personally define success? In other words, what does your authentic first-class life look like? I, it's pretty simple for me. Uh, my answer today, I admit, would be very different than it was uh, not even that long ago, but create happiness for yourself, no matter what the cost, no matter what the terms, no matter what anyone else thinks, if it's a crazy idea, be happy. Um, my boys are now 18, just turned 18 and 21, and I find myself saying to them, whatever it is you need to do in this life to make yourself happy in your relationship, in your career, uh, do it. Do it and don't hold back. And to me, finding happiness, I probably, if you looked at my life right now, have fewer things. I've had months in my, you know, different months in the ebbs and flows of being a consultant, making less money than I used to make some months um, in some years, having fewer things than I ever have had, very much adapting more of a minimalist sort of mindset and lifestyle. And I think I'm freer and happier than I have ever been. Um, I've been divorced for 10 years. I've been single a long time. I'm loving dating and getting to know myself in a different you know, way at this stage in my life as well. And I just have this authentic feeling of joy, even when things are mucky and, you know, hard. <laughs> and I think my boys are watching mm. and that makes me really happy. And to me, that's success. I mean, that my boys can acknowledge the happiness factor and that it's playing a role and, and they are feeling it too. I, I don't know how else to define success right now in my life. If people want to learn more about you and your work, maybe sign up for your Tuscany retreat, or it sounds yes. like maybe get on the wait list. Yes. Um, how can they do that? Uh, you know, call me. My phone number 
is 425-241-4855. I love people who are bold enough to just pick up the phone and call me. I'm right here. Um, my email address is tc, my initials, at teresacallahan.com, tc at t-h-e-r-e-s-a-c-a-l-l-a-h-a-n.com. Um, my retreat program is RetreatToTuscany.com. I'm all over the place. Instagram is so much fun to follow. A retreat to Tuscany. Uh, Facebook page, join me, follow me. Uh, Managing for Performance is my leadership program. And you can learn all about my speaking opportunities. There's a downloadable one sheet on how to hire me for a speaking event uh, on that uh, website as well and all kinds of tools and resources um, to help you with your business or help you with your life personally. And I, you know, I've kind of, I'm a, there's a whole life that we live, right? I don't know how you separate the personal from the professional. And I would say that I'm the kind of coach that wants to coach, you know, I coach all of you professionally and personally. I don't know how we separate that. And so at some point, I think these websites are going to intersect, <laughs> right? Drawing one from the other, but um, lots of ways to find me, but that's a good start. What's next for Teresa Callahan? Oh my gosh. Well, okay. This is a secret, actually. This is fun to talk about, but I have an investor I'm working with and I'm going house hunting in Tuscany in April. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> We're looking for a house to buy. And so whether it's in a two bedroom apartment or a little house, uh, I need a home base over there. Um, I, when my second son goes off to college this fall, I'll be hosting retreats in Tuscany. Um, I will probably be living in Tuscany two to three months this fall. And then I'll come home for the holidays when my boys are out of school and we can spend time together. And I'll go back in the spring of next year and probably have a home base there for another two to three months while I'm hosting women's retreats. Uh, and while my kids are out of you know school in the summertime, we'll be back here together between Montana, Seattle, wherever we want to be. But it's such a crazy feeling like this idea and this talking about moving to Tuscany part-time has just sounded like this crazy thing to say. And all my friends over there are so excited. And the fact that I have someone who's like wanting to partner with me to find something that we could buy uh, to make this happen is so exciting. So yeah, I haven't talked about that publicly at all yet. This is hot off the presses. <laughs> well, now that you've said it out loud, it's got to be a reality, it right? Happen, right, exactly. Thank you for championing that one. You could hold me. You could be my accountability partner, okay, Kate? I will definitely be checking <laughs> up on that house in Tuscany. Have you been in touch with House Hunters International? Maybe they could follow you around. No, isn't that a great... I had someone mention that to me the other day. I don't think I even knew there was such a thing. So I'm going to look that up. I'll check it out. Tell my crazy story to someone else. You know, see, dreams do come true. I guess that's the, sometimes I feel like I'm in this little fairy tale to say some of these things out loud. And now it's just, it's not so crazy. It's really practical. I mean, for goodness sake, if I'm going to be over there that often, I need a home base, right? It doesn't sound like such a crazy thing. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, executive leadership coach, and retreat in Tuscany leader, Teresa Callahan. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Kate. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of First Class Life, Redefining Success with Kate Fessler. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit FirstClassLifeSolutions.com on Twitter at Kate Fessler and on Facebook at First Class Life Solutions. We'll catch you next time. Thanks 
Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.